You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. If you have a Bible, please turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, I'm going to start in verse 15, but before I do, let me give you a little fall preview of what's happening this fall at Reality. Um, on September 9th, we will be starting four services. Now, not that many people are like, yay, four services, that's so fun. Um, but it's, it's a needed thing. I, when I was upstairs getting ready for this service, uh, Steve and Anthony walked up, he's like, we're over 400 right now. And I'm like, great. So that means we have to turn people away. I mean, I don't, people are like, it's just, it's just crazy right now. And, and fall, we're not even, we're still technically in summer. Fall hasn't hit. That's when people stop traveling as much. School gets back in, that sort of thing. So we're starting four services. Now, if you've been here, it's probably fun for some of you who've been here for, for uh, over two years to see like how our emotional sort of state goes through all the church. Like first service, we're like one service. And then two, we're like, hey, we got to go to two, yay. And three, we're like, oh, we got to go to three. And we're just so bummed. Um, but then we were like, it's a mission move. We have to be on mission, do three services now. We're over it. We're not even emotional about four. We're like, whatever. We just got to do it. So that's kind of how we are. We're just, this has to be done. We're completely packed in here. And so we have to go to four services. Now, the service times are going to be 9, 11, 4, and 6. Now, we think that the 4 and 6 o'clock will be a really good um, church um, gathering time options in San Francisco, and here's why. The 11 is our most, most full, but 4 is a really good time. I think it's going to prove to be a really good time to go to church, wake up, have a morning, brunch, you know, the San Francisco thing, and then 4 o'clock service, still have the rest of your evening to get ready for work that, that work week. I know you guys have crazy work week schedules, especially at 11 o'clock. I know that you guys n- normally typically do. So that's, I think that's going to prove to be a great option, so we're going to ask several of you, maybe 100 or 200 of you, to move over to 4 Pray about it, ask Jesus, talk to him about it, okay? Um, and then six will be a really good option, we think, for college students as well, and those who are in service industry where they work on Sunday in the day, or um, they sleep in until noon, a uh, typical day. That's not you guys, I'll talk to them tonight. Um, and so that six will be a great, a great option. So we are, we are, what we're going to do, and then just think about it, pray about it, if this is your church, um, if, if you're like, hey, can I do a four o'clock and make room at the eleven? Um, if you can, that'd be amazing. I think it's going to be a really great, great service. Um, I, my wife wants to go to that one. She's like, that's a great time. So, um, so we get to meet her because she's never at this service. She's always at the five. So um, it'll be cool. Wait, that was weird. I didn't pitch it like, hey, come to four and meet my wife. That's not what I was, it's uh, <laughs> not what I meant. Never mind. Let's move on. Um, also in the fall, starting September 2nd, we're going to start a new teaching series here. It's called Discovering God. And it's going to be on the attributes of God. Um, and this is going to be a really good series for you if you guys have friends who are, or acquaintances, or roommates, or something who are curious about God. I know I've, I meet um, several people in the city. When I tell them I'm a pastor, they're like, mouth drops open. They're like, oh my gosh, I've never seen one in the wild before. Like, you're like real. And so do you guys, you live here? Like, what do you do? It's just really weird. And, um, and, and normally, it, all, it always comes back to some spiritual question. Like, I've really been wanting to figure out who God is. I think that's like the missing piece in my life. And I, I've, been, I've been really curious about going to church and figuring out like um, who God is and that sort of thing. So this would be a really good series. We're going to be talking about all the attributes that are commonly, that God is, um, that are commonly attached to God. Like God is love. 
God is wrath, one that's unpopular. God is jealous. God is holy. God is just. Like all those things. We'll be going through those attributes and talking about, okay, what does it mean that God is love? What does it mean that God is holy? What does it mean that God is just? What does it mean that God is wrath? What does it mean that God is jealous? I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Like, whoa, I thought jealousy was bad. Why can God be jealous? Like, we'll look at some of those things. That's the first part of this new series. The second part of the series will be called um, Following God. And we're going to be looking at the Ten Commandments, and that should take us to the end of the year. Um, if you if you ever read Exodus, uh, Exodus starts with God showing Moses who he is and gives him his name and, and, and just shows Israel who he is through wonders and, and signs, but then goes into what does it look like now to follow this God? What does it look like to be in covenant relationship with this God? And that's, that's the Ten Commandments, so we'll look at that. So that's what's happening this fall. Uh, we'll be starting that series um, in, uh, in a couple of weeks. But squeezed in between our, our uh, Serve the City last week and Discovering God, which is coming up September 2nd, I thought we would stop as a church and talk about who we are as a community. I wanted to do a small series about who we are as a community. This is a, a DTR of sermons. Um, let's, let's define this relationship that we have. We're, gonna call, we're calling this sermon series, This is Reality, pun intended, um, there. And uh, this one's called We Are Theological. And so what we're going to look at is we're going to look at what, who we are as a community, what shapes us, what are our values, um, why are we here, why are we here in San Francisco, why is the church seeking to lay down roots in the middle of the most unchurched, unchristian city in America, and what are we doing here? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So let's start by reading Colossians 1, and then I'll pray. Colossians 1, 15. It starts like this. He is the image of the invisible God. He's speaking of Jesus. This whole thing is, if you have a heading over your Bible, it normally says something like the preeminence of Christ or something about Christ. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. That's a great verse to just lock into your heart and mind. He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. He's that glue that holds everything together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the head of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, in life and death and resurrection, he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's our text. Let's pray. God, I thank you, Jesus, that you are the head of this church. Christ Jesus, the senior pastor of this church. In you we live and move and have our being. In you we look to for hope. In you we look to for life. In you holds everything, redemption, salvation, mission, everything, value, worth, everything is in you. And I pray that you would take your rightful place this morning in the hearts of your people, the church, in this church, those that don't know you, God, I pray that they would get this a little glimpse inside of this church locally on, on what we, why we do what we do, what we're all about. And as we think about all these things, Lord, I pray that, that Christ would, would, you would saturate every word this morning, that we would see you as beautiful, that you would motivate us, Lord, to go out into the world to love as you have loved us. 
because of your great love toward us, making peace by the blood of your cross. Lord, we are now sent in this world as peacemakers. You've done it for us, Lord, and you send us out the church. Beautify your church today. Make us holy. Set us apart, God. Pray you would anoint me. I need your help to communicate these holy and spiritual truths. As I speak, Lord, I pray you'd speak to people's hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, as you guys might know, um, we didn't gather here. We weren't here. If you came to church here and you saw a sign on the door, you're like, wait, what the heck? Um, we, were, we were gone. We were in the Tenderloin District of the city serving the residents all day long. And I think it'll take the rest of the year to tell the stories that happened. I just keep hearing story after story of the things that God has done um, through this day, uh, last Sunday. We had about 85 to 90% of our church, church show up to do this. 85 to 90% of our church show up in the Tenderloin the whole day serving. And I was like praying. I was like praying for 50. God, if we had 50% of our church, then I would know I was a real pastor. Or, or something. You know, like, if, God, if we just had this. And, and I was, I was I actually, I, and, and, and I think you know this about me now. Like, I didn't, I, I didn't really expect it to be that awesome. I was like, it's going to be great. We're going to serve. It's going to be like a missions trip and that sort of thing. We're going to get dirty and all this other stuff. And that morning, I was floored. Like the amount of people that show up, the excitement of people just going, we get to be the church. This is what the church looks like. I think the church was just, we've never looked so good. We've never looked so beautiful as we were like worshiping Jesus and serving the city. And it, just, it was just an amazing, amazing day. Now, Having been in ministry for about 16 years, one of the, probably the best things I've ever experienced in ministry so far. But why did, we, why did we do that? Why did we move the entire church over there? Why did we move our church to the most broken place of the city and said, give up your entire Sunday and then serve the Tenderloin District and we want you to follow up with people that you met? And why, what motivates that? Is it like goodwill towards men? Like we have, we have this, we want a goodwill towards men. That's what we're all about. We're just serving service projects. Or is it something deeper than that? Is it something way deeper than just, hey, we're just wanting to serve people? And if it is deeper than that, does that deeper thing draw us to continual acts of service? Now, this might bring up other questions if we ask this question. It might bring up questions like, why not just shut down church every week and do that? Why even have the church gather at the Swedish American Hall? Why have this church gather every single week? We're out of space. We're out of room. Why don't we just shut church down and just like, hey, church is in a Tenderloin district every week. And then Bayview, Hunter's Point, like we're just out serving the community. We're never going to gather again. Why are we even here? It might bring up questions like that. In order to answer these questions and questions like this, and I think we must answer these questions, we need to have expressed values as a community. Values that shape us, not just in theory, but in practice, and not just corporately, but personally. We need to to have values. If if I'm talking about this is who we are as a church, what I mean by that, and you got to listen, what I mean by that is who you are individually, because all this church is is just made up of just individual people. So if I say that we're corporately this, but you're not individually that, we're not, it breaks down at some level. Do you guys get that, right? So when I say this, I'm saying, guys, this is who we are as a church, what I'm really saying, and though I'm talking really big today, uh, like I'm going to use this universal we, what I mean by that is you. This is what you must be, what I must be, personally, in this church, for there to be a collective of people like this, a community of people like this. We must be, in theory and in practice, 
committed to some values. And this, these are the values that shape this community. You might have heard them before. This might be a really good reorientation, recalibration if you're, you've been here a couple of years. Or maybe you've not heard this before. But this is, these are our values, our expressed values as a community. We are, and we hope to be, a theological community, a missional community, and a relational community. We desire and we endeavor to be a theological community. What that means is this. We want to be biblical and consonant with the character of God. Amen? We want to be like God. Now, we don't want to be little gods. We want to be like, we want to be, we want to be godly. This is what I talked about last Sunday. If we endeavor to get into San Francisco and go, we love this city, but we don't have a, a, a holiness for God, a personal holiness, that, that everything breaks down. Everything will break down. We need to be a community that's centered around God, that takes our cue from God. We also need to be a missional community. We, we can't just be this happy, clappy, celebratory church. We cannot just be the church that gathers on a Sunday and we sing some songs, like Christians are really good at singing songs and reading the Bible, but that's all we do. We can't be that. We must be a church that is also, because we're a theological community, because we're centered on God, we take our cue from God. And because God's a missionary God, God's on mission, we're on mission. Does that make sense? Because, God, because we want to be like God. And, and so God's like, I'm, I'm a God who, who, who continually sends. I send the word to create the world. I send my son to redeem the world. The son sent the Holy Spirit. To, and then the Holy Spirit sent the church. Like God's ascending God. We'll talk about that next week. We also want to be a relational community. We don't want to do all of this and lose relationship. We don't want to all, do all of this and not have deep, meaningful connection with people. But community is hard. You might know that we've had people that left this church because they couldn't find the right community group. I understand that community is very difficult. We've also had people that come into this church like, I love the community in this church. Community is difficult, and we're saying, we endeavor to say, yeah, it's going to be hard. Let's do it, though. We can't just be people that just sing about God. We have to be doing something. We can't just be people that do something. We have to do it in community. We have to do it getting one another's back. We have to do it building one another up in love. We have to do, that, do this meeting each other's needs. Now, this might be a giant-sized goal, big values, but these are our values. We want to be theological, missional, relational. And what I mean by that is I want you and me, I want to be theological. I want to be missional. I want to be relational. Me. You. You have to go, I, I want to be a theological person. I want my life to be centered on God, like my whole life about God. I want to be, I want to be wrapped up in God's mission. And I want to, I want to spend my life because God is in constant community, even with himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I need to be in community. It's not good for man to be alone. You, you see, we, we take our cue from God. That's what we're trying to say. So let's look at the first one today. What I want to do is I want to look at the first one and want to give some practical ways. I want, I want to show some underpinnings, underpinnings of this, like what this looks like under, like if we lift up the hood and show the engine a little bit. But, I, I, but more than that, I want to look at it practically. What, 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 what is this community to, be, to look like individually? So let's look at the first one. We are a theological community. Theology means, if you did not know this, theology is the study of the nature of God. It's the pursuit and the practice of understanding who God is. So when we say that the church is theological, this means that we're saying that our entire lives are about the understanding. We want to know who God is. We are saying that the church bases its identity and activity on who God is. 
Lock this in your head. We're ba- we base, guys, this is, this is the, the, the filter which we run everything through. We, we, tr- we, we endeavor, not we do, we, don't, we endeavor to do this. We base our identity, who we are, and our activity, what we do, on God. Now let's just, for example, let me just take it out of the realm of theology for a second. Let's just say we were a romantic community. Let's say that we're all about romance, okay, for a second. Some of you guys are going, all right, I like, the, I like what this is going right now. This is going to be good. Let's say we're a romantical community or something like that. Like, we're all about romance. This is, this is what this community would look like if we were all about romance. We would be saying that the most important part of life is love and romance. And the most important thing to do is to find love and find romance. To show love and romance. To give our bodies, our minds, our souls away to romantic love and sex. That would be our entire life. We would think, this is how we would think. I'm not anything unless I give, I'm giving myself in romantic love. So that means that you're basing your identity on it. I'm not anything unless I'm in a romantic relationship, unless I'm loving someone and we're in this like, passionate sort of pursuit of one another and we're doing text messages back and forth and emails and I see them and they just their new smells and all these things, exploring, the, like all this stuff that wrote, and you're like, well, that's me. Well, yeah, that's probably a lot of us. But we're not saying that we're a romantic community. See, we base our identity on something that we're not. And then we would base our activity on it. We would say we give all our resources, our time, our energy to find romance. We might even learn a romantic language. Like I want to learn French because it's romantic or whatever. Like I want to give my life to it. The way I dress, the way I talk, the way I, where I work, what I, it's all about romance. If that's what the community, we would give our lives to it like that. Or, let's just change it up a little bit. What if we were a financial community? We would say that the most important part of life is the almighty dollar and making money. We, we, we would do everything in our power to earn money, to save it, to make it work for us. Our dreams would be what we do with our money, the power that our money gives us, the, the comforts and the stuff it affords us. We would think we're nothing without money. That would be our identity. I'm nothing without my money. We'd also base our activity on it. We would give our time, our energy in the pursuit of making money. But we are not a romantic community and we are not a financial community and we are not a, add anything else in there, a work community. We are a God community. We are a Jesus community. And because we're a Jesus community, this is what we're saying. We believe the most important part of life is Jesus. We believe the most important part of life is Jesus. And we give our lives to knowing God and making him known. No matter where we work, no matter what, we, what sins we struggle with, no matter how quirky our personalities, no matter if we're rich or we're poor, we give our lives to Christ. And we realize that we're nothing without God but everything because of what Christ has done for us and that shapes our identity but also shapes our activity because we give our life, our resources, our time, and our energy in, our, in the pursuit of the gospel of Jesus because the gospel of Jesus has pursued us and he set us free. Do you see? We are a, we want to be, I want to be, you should want to be individually a theological person studying, chasing after, following God. When I say that the church is theological, we're also saying that the church is not based on any other ology. The church is not based on anthropology 
or sociology, or my favorite, urbanology, or zoology, or other, any other ology that you would think the church would be based on. It's not based on any of that stuff. It's not, based on anthrop- it's not based on the study of man. We're not an anthropocentric community. This is not about a man. This church is not about a human. This church is about God. Nor is this, and this might be a shocker to some of you, this church, we don't endeavor to be, to be based on the needs of humanity. That might shock some of you. You're like, well, I thought we're just meeting needs. We meet needs as God calls us to. This means we're radically in tune with the Holy Spirit. Because if I just said meet needs, you would try to find a way to schedule that in your time. But if I would say be radically centered on God and what God calls you to do, you don't, it, he blows your whole schedule away. You could spend weeks, years, your whole life devoted. We, are a, we want to be centered around not, not, not even sociology, not even, not even society, not even as much as we love San Francisco, not even San Francisco. Now, we must give attention to anthropology, sociology, urbanology, but they're not central to the church. What's central to the church is God redeeming the world through Jesus. Christ must be the center of this church. Look what it says in Colossians. This is what we just read. And he is, Jesus, is before all things. Look at the preeminence. Look at, look at the, the, the word to be preoccupied with Jesus as a church. He is before all things. Before what? Everything. Life, career, self, romantic relationships, everything. He's before all things. And in him, and here's the paradox, the beautiful paradox. Not only is he before all things, so I have to give everything up, yes, but as you seek him, he holds it all together. He holds, he's that glue that holds the universe together. And he holds all things together, and he is the head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, and that in everything he might be preeminent. He's preeminent in creation. He's preeminent in resurrection. Now, ironically, keeping God in the center is the very best thing for humanity, society, and the city. Keeping God in the center of this church is the very best thing for the city. It's the very best thing for humanity and the very best thing for society. Because our motivation as a church doesn't come from fundraising. It doesn't come from effectiveness. It doesn't come from reciprocation, what, the, what people give back to us. It comes from the bottomless fount of the love of God. That's where identity comes from. A good way to put it is like this. We are a centered people. We are, a, that's a good way to put it. Like, I want you to think, think about it like that. We are a centered people around Jesus. Now, there's ways that this practically works itself out. And this, this is what I wanted to, to share with you. The, the, I, I kind of gave some underpinnings of it. Let me show you practical ways this works out. Three ways with Christ in the center of this church. And by church, I mean us individually and us corporately. Three ways. How this works out personally how this works out communally, and how this works out universally. Let's start here and work our way out. Personally, first, this is, I think this is a very important point. If I say that we are a Christ-centered community, what that must mean is that you are a Christ-centered person. And when we get together, a bunch of Christ-centered people, we become a Christ-centered community. 
I think we get that. So let me ask you, and this might be a very youth pastor question, okay? Put on my youth pastor hat for a second. Let me ask you this, because I think you need to hear this. How is your personal time with Jesus going? I don't, okay, I don't want self-some faces. You're like, oh, gosh, dang, you nailed me. I'm not, I'm not trying to condemn you. So let me ask you the question. How is your personal, you might not even know, and you might be new to the church, like, personal time with Jesus, like, how do I get on that, like, schedule? I mean, does he, is he here? Do I set up a, a schedule? Do I call his assistant? Like, how do I get personal time? That sounds really strange. Okay, how is your, and, and this might be new to some people, what, what's kind of threaded the church through the centuries together is that this personal time, this, this time where we recalibrate, recenter on God, personally on God. How is that going in your life? Are you spending time alone? Who's ordering your day? When we first started as a church, um, we were uh, looking for new offices. And so I was going around with a couple different, different people who owned property in San Francisco trying to see these new offices. And one of the guys that I met and he was showing me around was an uh, owner of a lot of clubs in San Francisco. And um, he was showing me a, a space in, in Soma. And, um, and so he was asking, what's the space for? I'm like, oh, we're a church. He's like, oh, a church. That's, okay, cool. Um, I, I've been meeting a lot of churches lately that are moving to the city. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool. And, and so he said, what's the name of your church? And I go, and, and our reality is a weird name for a church. So, um, so I was like, we're, uh, the church name is Reality. And he's like, he starts laughing. I'm like, what's so funny? He goes, all these churches, man, they sound like nightclubs. It's like, yeah, I go to reality, you know, whatever, like this, I hear this, like, beating my head, and like, reality, and I'm like, yeah, it's like, like, we're usually like the first church of Christ the Redeemer, who's holy and just and perfect, you know, of San Francisco, or something like that. It's normally some really epic name like that, we're like, reality, and so that's kind of been a thing, like, when we have to explain, even someone from first service was like, "Um, I'm so glad you asked that, because I was on the way here, I was in a cab, and I said, I'm going to reality, and he just started laughing. It's like, I've never heard of a church that way, That's, that's a strange name for a church, like, why, why are we called reality? Um, one, of a, one of the pastors uh, at another reality recently was um, in uh, East Coast, and, uh, or Midwest, actually, in Chicago. And, um, uh, and, and this is kind of like the epicenter of, of academic, you know, Christian studies. And, and he was with a professor. And uh, he was like, oh, I'm going I'm to be working at a, a church. And like, oh, what's the, what's the church? What's the church called? And, and so the guy knew that it was coming. Like, okay, here it is. He's like, it's reality. And the professor was like, he's like perked up. He goes, reality? That is the best name for a church ever. And the guy's like, whoa. Because like, you're expecting like it's a hotbed of all these old Presbyterian sort of churches that have these great epic names. And it's like, well, wh- why do you think that name is so great? He goes, it's my jo- I think it's my job as a professor to show every Christian and every student that we as a people have been brought to God in Christ who is reality. He is the ultimate reality. Actually, he said, we are ministers of reality. And I'm like, we're stealing that. That is the coolest. Like, we're ministers of the real reality. We've plucked people from darkness. We've, like, unplugged them from the matrix, so to speak. And we're like, we've showed them the, who Christ really is, that what's behind, what's really real. Christ is true reality, the truth of who God is and what the world really means. And the guy was like, oh, that, yeah, so yeah, reality, that's my church, my, the name of my church, it's awesome, whatever. 
I heard that, and, that, that, and that's why. I mean, we don't call this church reality because like, we're real. We try to be real. No, because Christ is the ultimate reality. Yourself, your job, your life, it's not real. It's not real. The ultimate reality is Jesus. And so let me ask you this question. Are you individually allowing this ultimate reality of Jesus to shape your daily reality? Are you allowing this big ultimate reality of Christ to shape your individual daily reality? Are you waking up and running through your day with this filter, Christ is the true and ultimate reality. And my life in him is who I really am. Are you doing that? Typically, depending on if you're married or not or have kids or not, or if you work from home or not, and typically we, we wake up, we always wake up a little later than we wanted to, and we try to rush through our day and grab that cup of coffee and run in the shower or whatever and then run out the door and, and catch Muni and it's always broke down and we're waiting and you finally get on and it's like packed and you run out and you, you get to work just on time, just on time. And you might be the person that eats at work so you have your breakfast, your little banana at your, and you open your email and then you have a flood of emails and they, or your emails go, this is what you do today. This is who you are. Fix this. Or your supervisor comes up and goes, this is what I need from you. Today you need to work on this and, you, and that sets your whole day. Lunch is, you, have, you take it way too late, you finally eat something, you get off of work, you get off of work way later than you hoped. You're like, oh my gosh, my whole day, where did it go? Then you get home, you have a drink to knock the day off, and then you have like two hours for yourself and you try to suck as much life as you can in that two hours. Then you go to bed and do it all over again. It's a typical day. We're not stopping in the morning and going, God, order my day. I am not my job, my career, my career path, my school. I don't ultimately serve my supervisor. I don't serve my email. I don't serve Twitter. I serve Jesus. And so I will, I will let you shape my day. When we wake up and we order our day rightly, I thought of this example from Mark, um, the book of Mark, chapter one. Let me read this to you. It's on the screen. Jesus just starting his ministry. Jesus had, had a pretty busy schedule. I don't know if you guys know. He's had a lot going on, healing the world, that sort of, th- sort of thing. Everybody wanted his time. He was like one of the most popular guys ever. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went to a private place, a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon those who, and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him. And they said to him, everyone is looking for you. Okay, what would have happened if this was today? They'd be texting him, calling him, emailing him. Everybody needs you. Like, I don't know if you know Jesus, you've been healing everyone and everybody's like, I want that healing and they're clamoring after you. And then Jesus says, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also for that is what I came for. So let me just, if you missed it in there, let me just, he's very popular, very needed, very wanted. Who's going to order his day? Needs? Waking up going, okay, who needs me today? Is that going to order his day? Needs? His emails? His tasks? Is that, or is the Father going to order his day? So Jesus gets up early, and he prays. He seeks God. And he comes out of prayer, and the disciples are like, dude, where have you been? 
It's 6.30 in the morning, and there's already a line. He's like, let's leave. Like, leave? What do you mean leave? We got to keep going. This is what I came to do. I got to keep preaching. Let's go. Who orders your day? I, 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 know, I know for a lot of us, it's your email that orders your day. It's your, it's, it's your schedule, your little iCalendar that orders your day. For some of you, it's your like, Twitter account, your social media that orders your day. Let Christ order your day. I read this small little book. It's called What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast. It's very helpful. Very small book. You read it in one sitting. Really good. And, and it's just talking about when you get to work, your, your, your life belongs to your career. And that makes sense. That's what they pay you to do. Like they, they own you, so to speak. Do this work. Finish your job. Do that. And at night, you're so busy. Your willpower is down. You're, it just, you're so busy that you don't have that much time. You know, he, this book said the, the, the most important part of your day where your schedule is your schedule is the morning. And they did a survey, all the most successful people, and what they did, and they said the, their, their most effectiveness, they're because they're, they were so effective because of what they did in the morning. And this is one of the quotes. that successful people have priorities they want to tackle or things they like to do with their lives. And early mornings are the time when they have the most control of their schedules. And there's just something about the morning. The scriptures say that, that the mercies of God are new every morning. Do you ever like wake up in the morning? Have you ever wake up in the morning and grabbed your Bible and felt the, the mercy? Like the mercies of God are tangible in the morning. Like tangible. Someone has to be somewhere right now, by the way. Um, <laughs> tangible. Like you wake up, you're like, you feel them. Like you sense them. Some of you guys have to wake up a little earlier than most. Some of you guys, for you to get that time alone because of family and all that, you have to like five in the morning. Like, what? Is that even a real time? A.W. <laughs> Tozer wrote this book called The Pursuit of God. I've recommended it to you several times. And just even if you just marinate on the first chapter, he's just, it's so good. And, and I almost want it for this point, I almost want to just to read the, the entire chapter or just nuggets from the chapter, but I won't. I'll share one of them with you. He said this. We have almost forgotten that God is a person, and as such can be cultivated as any, other, any person can. It is inherent in personality to be able to know other personalities. But full knowledge of one personality by another cannot be achieved in one encounter. It is only after long and loving mental intercourse that the full possibilities of both can be explored. I love that. Tojo's saying, you can't just, get, you can't just like know God one time and that's it. Actually, the very nature of, of who God is, is that it's impossible. God's a person. You don't go like, hey, I met you on Sunday. See you later. It's only after long and loving mental intercourse. That's pretty graphic. I, love, I like that a lot. Like long and loving mental intercourse. Think about that. Are you spending time alone with God? Is it long and loving mental, spiritual intercourse with God where you're, sh- where you're like, God, shape my day. Fill my day with your plans. Fill my job with your desires. Make me that person today that is, this, that is filled with hope and love today. Give me patience and wisdom today. Guys, are you tired of going through work week and go, look back at your work week, I just got work done. I just got school done that week. Who's ordering your day? If we're going to be a centered people, it has to be personal. Do you guys remember what the Lord told us in January? We did that, our one-year anniversary, and I, and I really sensed that God had a warning for our church from the book of Revelation. 
And it was, behold, I, I know, I, I see your works, and you have this reputation of being alive, but you're dead. I said, I think that's a warning to our church because I think reality can have this reputation of be this rocking, like, yeah, they're doing things and they're meeting and they're at a room and all this other stuff, but we're all individually dead. We're all way overworked. We're way too tired. We're, our our, our self-control and, and, and our, our willpower is down. We're falling into temptation all the time. We're sending our brains out, all because we're not centered around God. We might say we're a church around God, but we're not individually around God. May we remi- be reminded of that in the middle of the year. And go, God, make us personally centered on God. And as we're personally centered on God, we'll be communally centered on God. That's why we gather. That's why we meet. The church is always gathered. From the Exodus onward, God has been in the center of the community, whether it's a tabernacle in the center of the camp, the temple. In, the, in, in Jerusalem, as, as it was up on a hill and everybody would, would see it from any vantage point in Israel, in, in Jerusalem, the temple reflected this. The feast and the, the celebration of the Jewish calendar reflected this. God in the center. And at the end of everything, in Revelation chapter 7, it said that God is in the center. And everyone, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne into the Lamb. We started with God in the center. Where this whole thing is going, God will be in the center. We live in between these two times. We need to be a church where God is in the center. This, our service tries to reflect this. If you notice, when you guys walk in, if you're here, and most of you guys are here right on time, we stand up and do a call to worship. We read a psalm or a prayer together. Centering our minds. We come in with all these distractions, centering our minds on God. And then we start with worship. And then we have this sermon. And then we do what we call a second set, the, probably the most important time of our Sunday. And the reason why we do this, and we're going to do it in a, in, a couple, in, a, in a couple minutes here. The reason why we do the second set. Jesus told this parable, the parable of the, sow, the sower, where the seed of the word would be scattered and these birds would come and pluck it all away. Jesus said it has to fall on a good heart, it has to fall on good soil. Okay, we know right out those doors are endless options of food and your job and your career and connections and relationships and all this pressure. We know that right outside the doors, it's, it's all there. And what we try to tell the church is after the word is taught, just sit for a while. Sit. Stop. And let that seed be cultivated. Let that seed be watered a little bit by, the, by, by some repentance and singing. Communion, carpets, standing, lifting our hands. Cultivate that a little bit. Don't, don't run off. Don't go, don't go down to, and grab a burger. Not yet. Let that marinate in your heart for a minute. Corporately as a church, let's gather around Jesus and say, Jesus, do that in my heart. Take this away. Let this take root. I don't want, I don't want to start ordering my day. I'm going to wake up early. I'm going to order my day, and it lasts till. Tuesday, and then by Wednesday, it's all, all over again. I, I want this to be a lifelong pursuit of Jesus. We need to be corporately around. This is why we take communion every week. That's why the Eucharist is up front after every service or after every sermon. 
Because Jesus says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. This is why we have communion every single week. Who can take communion? Anyone who's repented of their sin and placed their trust and faith in Jesus. That's what communion is meant for. That's what it represents. It's the most practical thing in the world, and it's the most mystical thing. It's practical that it's just a piece of bread in a cup. That's it. But it's so mystical because Jesus says when you do it, some, in some mysterious way, he's there. He's present in that. It's a picture of Christ's body broken, his blood poured out, and we take it in. We say, Christ died. And then when we take it in, when we appropriate it to ourselves, we take it in and we ingest it when we say, Christ died for me. Thank you. We worship freely. If you've never done that, I want to invite you to do that today. If you've never placed your faith and your trust in Jesus and repented from your sins, that you would do that today. I've had so many people that say, I ask, well, you know, when did you, when did you start following Christ? Like, well, I took communion for the first time, and it's like been our way of how people just kind of take up that language. Like, no, I, went, I first went to those, the, 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 the table where the bread and the cup were and turned to Christ last month or two months ago or whenever. So we need to do this corporately. And lastly, to be a Christ-centered community, this has to be, mean something universally as well. Now the temptation, when we talk about being a Christ-centered community or Christ-centered people, the temptation is to say, okay, we're God-centered as long as God is man-centered. That's our, that's our temptation. Well, I'm God-centered because God loves me so much. Eh, that's kind of there, but it, we, we make it all about what he does, he, like how he loves us. Instead of just because he is, because he's holy, because he's good, because he's right, because he's just. I think Colossians recalibrates us a little bit. Because Colossians says that he's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, everything was created. It says that he was before all things. And in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That he reconciled all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You know what this is saying? This is saying that we are not a God-centered community because we decided as a church to be one. We are a God-centered community because that's the only reality there really is. It's the only reality the Bible allows us to live under, both as individuals and the church. The fact is, not only is the church God-centered, not not only is the church Christocentric, but Colossians says that the whole world is Christocentric. Everything was made by Christ, for Christ, and he holds it all together. You know what that means? He's in the center, but the, the world doesn't know it yet. And you and I worship under the true reality We worship under something that no one has realized yet, that Christ is holding everything together, that he made all things, he's holding all things together, it was by him and for him. And the church is a future taste of saying, we have discovered it now. So universally what this means is that we're not God-centered because we thought that would be really clever and good. We're God-centered because the whole world is, it doesn't know it yet. He created all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, this means the world is not this means that the world is not about us. The church is not about us. The Bible is not about us. The future is not about us. It's about God. And our responsibility is to posture ourselves under the true reality. 
And that true reality is Jesus. And he is the only one that can resolve us and rescue us from that horrible, deplorable disease called self and bring us into the greater, truer reality. So let's spend some time right now. If, if it means you and I have to recalibrate, repent, come underneath that sort of, God, I want you to be the center of my own life, then let's do that. If there's something that's just, some sort of anxiety that's clogging that whole thing. Let's confess that. You might need prayer for that. Come forward and receive prayer. The prayer team's up here. Let's take communion freely. Let's line up and go, Christ, stay in the center of this church. Stay in the center of our lives. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are truly the cause, the sustainer of all things. That in you we we live and move and have our being. In you is life. In you is light and there is no darkness at all. And I pray that this church would come underneath that. I pray that I would. I pray that we would, as a church, be a, a, a people centered a people around God with you in our center whatever is there now relationship or job stress anxiety worry we remove that now and we cast that aside and we say Jesus be the center take your rightful place be the Lord. Now that takes repentance. And so we repent, God. We repent from putting ourselves there or putting some other inordinate thing there, God. Take your rightful place in this church, Jesus. Sit enthroned. Beautify your church, God, as we look to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.